0: Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 26, and really the focus verse is going to be verse 28, but we'll get a little bit of uh, uh, context here, okay? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 is where I'm going to start reading. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And here's the verse we're going to look at. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... uh, For blessing us, God, Uh, in creating the world that you've created, you've blessed us. In creating us male and female and giving us marriage and relationships, God, you've blessed us. God, in uh, giving us the the ability to have children and to invest in in children, uh, to have spiritual children, Father, you've blessed us. That is a blessing. And we we agree with the Word of God today, and we pray, Father, that you would help us to apply uh, these verses to our lives, and to the way we think about our lives, and the way we think about our future. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so God has just created the heavens and the earth, and and I always like... uh, I don't know, certain things are kind of significant to me. It's significant to me that what God says first, you know, I, I, I don't know. It just, it just seems like that ought to be significant. Uh, he creates the heavens, the earth, uh, hey, there they are, man and woman. And what is the first thing that God says to them? You know, I mean, that, that seems like a significant thing to think about to me. You know, is it, you know, watch out for the snake? Is it, you know, what, what what is it? What is the first thing that he says? And the first thing that he tells them is, first of all, he blesses them. And in blessing them, he tells them to be fruitful and to multiply. Okay. Now, I think that's not only a significant thing because it's the first thing that God says in, in blessing them to be fruitful and multiply. I also think it's significant in that God says it over and over again. Okay. So if we go forward into the time of the flood in Genesis chapter 9, uh, so the whole world has been destroyed, and uh, Noah's ark is settled on, on on the mountain, and they all get out, and they offer, offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And what does God say again? So here you got almost a recreation, okay? you got it starting all over again. And in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then again in verse 7, he repeats himself, And you be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth, and multiply. Again, in Genesis chapter 35, God is reiterating his promise to Jacob. And to Jacob, he says in verse 11, uh, he says, I I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, a company of nations shall come from you. And so throughout the Bible, this is is said over and over again by God, always in the context of God blessing them, okay? Uh, Never does God say, man, I'm really mad at you, so I want you to be fruitful and multiply, you know? I'm going to give you kids because I'm really... Ticked at you, and I want you to see how I feel. You know, get some of what I got. You know, never, never, to, never. To, is it in that context? It's always in the context of God saying, "I'm going to bless you, and therefore be fruitful and multiply." Now, I know, I realize today, and I, I, I want to be. Um, hermeneutically correct here, or interpret the Bible correctly, I understand this has special significance for the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel, right? Because what is God's whole promise to Abraham? You know, here's this guy, he's 100 years old, he has no son, and God says, look, here's the covenant I'm making with you. Here's the promise I'm going to make with you. You know, you're, you're going to have a mighty nation that's going to come from you. You know, you're going to have more children than the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea, you know, and so, wow, okay, so this has really incredible significance for the nation of Israel and that God's going to bring forth a nation, okay, Uh, ...from this one man, and so be fruitful and multiply would have significance in their their theology, in their life. But I I also believe that it teaches us many things as, as evangelical believers, okay? And the first obvious thing that I think it teaches, and I want you just to let this hit home... Children are a blessing, okay? I want our church to embrace that. I think we have. I think our history shows that as we grow, as things change, as our ministry adapts. I don't want us ever to forget that, and I don't want us ever to get far from that, that kids are a blessing, okay? It is good for our life to have children in our church, in our families, in our lives, in the kingdom, in the world. That is a good thing, okay? And I think it shows it right here in Genesis where God blesses them and tells them, them, look, have kids. Have a bunch of kids. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, let's be fair. Is it hard to have children? Yes. Okay. Is it exhausting? Is it time-consuming? Is it financially draining? Yes, yes, yes. But here's what the Bible would say. The blessings of children far exceed the difficulties. Okay? Now, why, why are children such a blessing to in, in the Bible? Well, I think if we go back a few verses, something we've already said, but we'll say it again in this context. They're a blessing because they are image-bearers of God, okay. Remember, remember, we heard. We, do you remember that two weeks ago? We we looked at, at why are we significant as people? What's our purpose? Why are we here? We're here because we're made in the image and likeness of God, okay. And, and so we reflect God to the world. We we are a mirror reflecting certain characteristics that the rest of creation doesn't. Certain characteristics we reflect to the world to God. So we're this mirror. And so what is God saying? Oh, He's saying, "I want a bunch of mirrors." Okay, I want a bunch of people reflecting my glory on the earth, okay? So so God simply says that, I want a bunch of image bearers, okay? And as image bearers, something else we need to believe as, as Christians, since we believe the Bible, is that people have great value. Remember when we looked at that sermon, I took you to Genesis chapter 9, where uh, where God says, be fruitful and multiply. But then, then he says later on, this is to Noah. He says in verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Okay? So so God institutes some form of capital punishment here. And the reason is, is because man is created in the image of God. What is God trying to say? Man has great value. I, I also took you to James 3. Do you remember that? James 3, where, where Paul is talking about the words that we speak. And he says in verse 9, with it we bless, with our tongue, with our words. We bless our Lord and Father. We worship, we sing, we, we praise God. And then he says, with it we also curse people who are made in the, in the image and likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And James says, you, could, you shouldn't curse somebody. You know what it is to curse somebody? It's basically to say, you have no value. That you're You're worthless. That's what we do when we curse people. We say, you're worthless. You're something to be despised. You're something to be spat upon. You're something to be, to be given no value. And, and, and the Bible says, don't say that of people. You shouldn't curse people. Why shouldn't you curse people? Because they're made in the image and likeness of God. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what kind of person they are. That's beside the point. God says they have value because they're made in the image and likeness of God. And so here's what the Bible says. People are valuable because they're image bearers of God. Now everything else in life we understand if something's valuable you want less of it right you know you got you, you, money's a valuable thing that's why you're giving it all away right that's why when you go out the door you're going to hand it to me just because it's valuable and you just want to get rid of it is, is that the way it works that's not the way it works is it if something is valuable you want more of it true or false that's true right gold is valuable people want to store it up right money's valuable people want to have it crops are valuable Farmers want to plant a lot. They want to get a lot of land. They want to, they want to have a good yield. I mean, that's that's just obvious. And so if, if we believe the Bible that people are valuable, not for what they can do or, or what they can do for us, but because they're image bearers of God, then we have to embrace that having lots of them is a good thing, right? Psalm 127, verse 3. Look at what it says. It says, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Okay, so if we believe this, then we need to somehow work this theology into what we plan for our families, okay? Now I know some of you are done with that, and it's over, but that doesn't mean I don't need to say it and keep saying it at our church, okay? So so let's think through this, okay? Here's the thing I, I, I want to impress upon you. I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating no birth control, by the way. I don't believe that, you know, everybody should have 10 or 20 kids. I think that could have really bad implications probably. Um, I'm not advocating that. I'm not going to go into why I don't advocate that. If you want to know that someday, then maybe you and I can just talk about that. But here's what I'm advocating. I'm advocating that we have a Christ centered approach to planning our families. First of all. Okay. Have a Christ centered approach. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that there's a whole lot of decisions that go into how many kids do I have, right? There's things like the health of the mother. Uh, there's things like how difficulty is the pregnancies. There's things like the health of the dad. Uh, there's things like the health of the marriage. You know, uh, I mean, there, there's just lots of things that go into that decision. OK, but here's what I don't like in our world. In our world, what I hear, and this is just what I hear, my observation, what I hear. There's two primary questions that a couple ask themselves when they decide whether to stop having children or whether to keep having children. And they are these two primary questions. Number one. Can we afford it? Okay. Now, the reason I think that's not a very good question. Okay. I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask that, but I'm saying that in our culture, that's the biggie. Okay. Now, the reason I think that's not a great question for the United States of America is what most people mean by that is not. Can we feed another child? I mean, they're, they're not saying, do we have enough rice where this kid can live? Okay. Now there's people in Guatemala probably saying that. And there's people in the Sudan and Africa probably saying that. I don't know of any in America. I just, I don't. Maybe they, they pro, there probably are some. I personally don't know any that that's, that's the case, that they're saying, all right, we got this much rice for the year, you know, before, before next year. And, and I don't know if we can feed four. We, we might be able to feed three. We might be able to live. But I think four, somebody's going to die. I don't know anybody asking that question. Most people in America, when they answer that question, what they're saying, what they're what they're really saying, if we'll be honest. What they're saying is I really would rather drive a thirty five thousand dollar automobile than I would drive a ten thousand dollar automobile. And we'd really rather go to Disneyland for vacation than we would go camping. And we'd rather have a bigger house than live in the one that we have. Now, I'm not saying those are bad questions. We we answer those questions. We think about those. They're not bad questions. But what I think is they're not the important question to ask when you're thinking about how many children I should have, okay? Now, then the second question that I think people ask a lot, and this is mainly asked of the woman, what about my career? Um, I think this seems like a really good question when you're 28, when you're 30, when you're 26, okay? But just, again, my, my observation, women who are 65 seldom ever tell me, I wish, I wish, I wish I had five more years in the workforce, I wish that I'd work five more years. I've, just, I've, never, I've never had any lady tell me that. Now, there probably are some that would say that. But most, most ladies at the end of their career, they're not saying, man, what's really important to me is I only got 35 years in the company. And if I, if I could have got 40, you know. Um, most ladies are not saying that. Most ladies are, 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 are they're, they're talking about their kids and they're talking about their grandkids. Uh, that's where their value lies. Again, this is just my observation. That, 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 that's my observation is most, most people aren't, aren't asking that question. And I think sometimes we need to have a long-term view. I know, I know when you're 26, when you're 28, when you're 30, I mean, there's certain things that they seem really important. But I think sometimes wisdom, and this is where the collective wisdom of the church comes in, that we begin to ask, okay, but what, what, what's going to be important to me in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years? Because it's a big decision, right? So I, those two questions obviously factor in. But I don't think they should be the only questions. And I think for a lot of people, those are the only two questions that are asked. Okay? Let me give you three that I think are really big. Okay? Bigger than those two. Okay? Number one, what does God want? I am amazed at the number of people who talk to me about this. And when I say, well, as you prayed about it, what does God say? I'm amazed at the number of people that say, well, we really haven't prayed about it. Why would you not pray about that? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I mean, is that not one of the biggest things in life? You know, why would we not pray? Why would we why would we just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pray about this thing. Why would we not search the scriptures? And so I think a really, really important question to ask as a couple is what, what does God want? Number two, here's a good question. Do we got more in us? Okay, do, you, do you know what I mean by that? Do we, do we got more? Do we got more discipleship in us? Can we invest in another child? Do we have the ability? Do we have the desire? Do we have the skills to disciple and to teach and to pray for another child? I think that's a good question. Uh, you know, some people may say, man, tank's empty. You know, <laughs> God, no more, you know. I don't, I can't pray for another kid. I can't invest in that. I mean, Susanna Wesley, you know, once she have like 18, you know, uh, Charles and, and John came. She'd spend like an hour a day, a week, an hour a week talking with each child about their spiritual life. You know, they, they talk about her being up at three in the morning, praying for a child. You know, I can see Susanna saying, ain't got no more left. You know, <laughs> this is it. You know, I got eighteen's all I can do or however many she had. I can't remember exactly. It was, it was something like that. So, but that's a good question. Do I have more in me? Okay. And then here, here's a great question. What will we wish we had done in 15 years? Now I include that one to honor a group of people in my life. Because there's a group of people in my life who are about 10 years older than me. And, and, and as I've talked with them, and I'm just the kind of guy that this is what I do. I ask questions like this. I have asked probably, probably 15 couples, I bet, who are about 10 years older than me. Uh, in in some form of our conversation, I've asked them, do you wish you'd had more kids? Overwhelmingly, a lot of them say yes. Now, some of them, Carolyn just said no. You know, she wants less. Uh, And and again, I'm not not giving you the answer here. I'm giving you questions. I'm giving you questions to ask. But overwhelmingly, and there's some great people in my life that have said, man, Jason, if I could do it over again, we would have had another one. Maybe maybe more, okay? And, And so I just think you ought to ask that question. Just a question you ought to ask. And again, some people, your tanks, your tanks, you're empty. You know, it's so all you got. No more. That's cool. Uh, you know, I, I, there's days where I think him and I feel that way, and uh, so I I, I I understand that. But but I also understand that there's people that didn't ask the question. They just didn't. They never asked that question, and so ten years, fifteen years went by, and now it's too late to ask that. And so I'm telling you right now, that ought to be one of your questions. Okay, what do you what do you do if if, if that's over, if, if that time is over, and, and you're saying, man, I still got more in me. Hey, you know what? If this is true, if children are a blessing, if God wants lots of, of fruitfulness and, and multiplying on the earth, image bearers of Christ, then, then here's some options, all right? Number one, adopt, okay? Number two, be a foster parent. Uh, There's a couple this morning that told me, man, pastor, we're considering being a foster parent. You know, they didn't know I was preaching on this, but, but you know they just told me that as they were going outside. Number three, Team Kid. I, I mean I can't I cannot emphasize how important I think Team Kid is. I am the senior pastor. We now have three pastors on staff. We're a growing church. I've been here fourteen years. I am the fifth and sixth grade boys teacher in Team Kid. Okay? Now, I only tell you that, not, not, I don't, am not trying to pat myself on the back, but I'm just telling you most people, most guys in my position, they're working out of children's ministry. You know, when, when you're the brand new pastor and the church is 70 people, a lot of times you, you got to teach. Okay. That's just the way it is. Some guys are not even there. You know, no, I'm not even doing it then, you know, but, but here's my heart. It is great to work in team kids. I mean, it's an incredible privilege for me. I'm not doing that because I have to. I'm not doing that because we didn't have anybody else to do it. I'm doing that because I finally got freed up on a Wednesday night where I'm not doing my thing. We still got really quality things going on. And I jumped in there, signed my name because I want to be there. I want that opportunity. I want to be able to have 11, as we had this last Wednesday, 5th, 6th grade boys that I can spend an evening with and talk about how they're creating the image of God. As we talked about last week, we talked about the Trinity, and we talked about, uh, we talked about all kinds of stuff, you know? And we did Indian leg wrestling, which was really fun, you know? Uh, We've done Indian leg wrestling, we've done arm wrestling, and we've done bloody knuckles. So if your kids come home with bad habits, it's, they learned it at Team Kids. But we're being masculine, and that's what matters. All right, we're being masculine in the Word of God. Uh, man, it's a great opportunity. And, and even go further, Team Kid Extreme. You know what Team Kid Extreme is? That's when you go the extra mile, and you're not just a Team Kid, but you adopt some of these kids as, as your own own ministry. And you go pick them up and 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 take them out for ice cream and you take them fishing and you you you, you invest in their family and you invest in their brothers and sisters and, and you invest in them when you see them and you you congratulate them on their good schoolwork. Man, you're you're investing in kids. Why? Because you believe what the Bible says about them. They're a blessing. They're a valuable commodity that needs investing in. Now I know there's lots of arguments. Uh, to not, to not having lots of kids, okay? Let me give you a couple of them and I'm just going to answer them very quickly. And, and we're not going to do a lot on them, okay? Overpopulation, okay? My answer, Eastern Colorado, okay? Overpopulation, Eastern Colorado. Have you been to... I spent my growing up years in Eastern Colorado. There's plenty of room on the earth, okay? There really is. Uh, and I've driven through Montana, okay? There's lots of room. Uh, Mark Driscoll, I don't, I don't know where he got this information, but Mark Driscoll said that all the people in the world could fit in Texas and everybody could have 1,700 square foot. I, I don't know if that's right or not. Uh, I assume he got that from somewhere, but it's probably true. There's a lot of land in Texas. I mean, there really is. Um, starvation. Um, I don't, I don't want to make light that people are starving around the world, and I think we rich Americans ought to give a lot of money to World Vision Samaritan's Purse. Because it's not that we don't have food; it's that we haven't got it there. There's enough. There's enough. There's enough grain that rots on the ground in the Midwest to feed every hungry person in the world. There is. I mean, there just is. That rots. You know, I'm not even talking about the stuff that we we don't even. There's a lot of times farmers. I mean, my dad's a farmer. We don't, we don't even cut a patch because it's it's not worth our diesel. We just leave it leave it in the field. But I'm talking about stuff we cut. And take to the elevator and they dump it on the ground because there's no storage for it. Okay? Um, but then here's the big one. You ever hear anybody say, I don't want to bring anybody, I don't want to bring another kid into this world because this world's so bad. You ever hear anybody say that? A broken world. We live in a broken world. It's true. It's true. Okay? And the image of God is cracked in man. Remember our, remember our mirror illustration, right? We're creating the image and likeness of God. But what happened to that image? It's gotten cracked, it's gotten busted. And so, so now we don't reflect God very well. Okay? And now you've got messed up people and you got violent people and you got selfish people and you got prideful people and you, you got you got just really chaos in the world. What do we believe as Christians, though? <laughs> Who brings that back together? Jesus does, you know. I mean, I guess I understand somebody that doesn't believe the Bible saying that about the world. But here's what I don't understand. I don't understand a Christian saying that, you know. I don't understand saying, a Christian saying, well, I don't want to bring anybody else in this world because it's all messed up. What did Jesus do to fix the world? I mean, we're the people that believe that. We're the people that believe Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Listen what it says. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, the new self created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. I was cracked. I was messed up. I was broken. I was part of the, the world that was ugly. Okay, but you know what Jesus did for me? He died on the cross for me. He filled me with the Spirit of God. I'm united to Him in faith. And now He's putting back together the image of God in me so that I reflect God in, in, in a more powerful way day after day. Folks, that, that's, that's our calling in the world. And I've thought about this, but I feel comfortable applying, be fruitful and multiply to this church. Okay. Not just to individual families who are thinking about their, how many children are going to have. But I'm, I'm talking about to our church. I think we can apply th- this verse. God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply. I think that has implications for us. Why? Not not just our value of children and and our ministries and team kids, but I also believe it applies to being born again. Isn't isn't that what we're all about? Is seeing people be born again. Seeing new birth come about in our community where people are born again and the image of God comes back together in their life so that they begin to reflect and glorify God. I think we see evidence of that in the Bible. In Galatians chapter 3, when it's talking about Abraham and and his his children, in verse 7 it says, Know then that those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Abraham. I mean, the New Testament flips around Israel and says, you know what? Everybody who's a person of faith, they're the children of Israel. They're, they're the sons of Abraham. God said, be fruitful, and multiply. We want lots of them. We want lots of born again believers in first Timothy one, two. You know what Paul said? Here's a guy who wasn't married until our knowledge had no physical children. But you know what he says of Timothy in first Timothy one, two, he says, my true child in the faith. You know the way Paul looked at his life? Paul looked at his life as, man, I, I am being fruitful and multiplying new souls, being born again on the earth. He, here's what he said in 1 Corinthians. Paul, Paul supported people not even being married. He, he says, if that's your gift, God's given some people that gift. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 says, I wish that all of you were as I myself am. What does that mean? That means single, Okay. But each one has his own gift, uh, one one, one of one kind, one of another. And then in verse 32, he says, uh, I want you to be free from anxiety. He's talking about people staying single if God gives them that gift. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Amen to that, huh? That is true, man. Anxious, trembling sometimes. How do I please her? and his interests are divided. She's not in here, if you'll notice. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul says, for some people, it's good for you to be single. Not that we just scrap this whole be fruitful and multiply thing. No, it's good for you to be single and to, and to give yourself to Christ and to give yourself to the kingdom and to give yourself to sing people born again and multiplied across the earth so that there's more and more put together image bearers all over the earth man I think this applies to our our teen kid verse Psalm 78 Uh, have you seen the glorious deeds verse have you ever noticed what's on the back of there it's this verse okay Psalm 78 verse 4 we will not hide them from their children but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he's done That the next generation might know them. This is verse 6. The children yet unborn. And arise and tell them their children. Psalm 78 says we're going to be the people who tell the children of this world what God has done. Man, that's our calling. Be fruitful and multiply. I think it will mean for our church that we build Christ revealing relationships with the people in our community. You know, we're coming up on the first time in the history of Lincoln Avenue since I've been here. Since I've been here, before it's probably different, but since I've been here, we're gonna have room. We're gonna have room. We have fourteen thousand more square foot for Sunday school, for worship. What are we gonna do with that? Right now, we got it easy, don't we? Right now, we're full, and and. And we can really be comfortable with that. And and, and I don't want to take away from your efforts because, again, I'm, man, two two couples this week. I go to their homes. They're new visitors here. First thing they tell me, let me tell you about so-and-so at your church who I came. They invited me out for lunch. They invited us out for lunch. We came, and, man, they knew we had a need, and they met it. I mean, you're doing that. Good job. OK, that's that's building Christ, revealing relationship, building a relationship with people that reveal Jesus to them. OK. But you know what? We're, we're coming up on an opportunity where we can really grow. The question is, do we want to really grow that? You know what I'm convinced of? And this church is an exception, but 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 I think we're we're not above temptation. I, there's a lot of churches. I'm not sure they really want to grow. Now, I don't know of a church that doesn't say they want to grow. But you know what? Having lots of kids is hard. Having lots of physical kids is hard. There's just a lot of stuff that we can't do because we got a two-year-old. If we still, if we just had a 17 and a 15, if we'd have stopped with, with add, 17 and 15, man, we're about done. We'd be about done. We'd be about out of this thing and just ready to... I don't know. We might just go to Cabo San Lucas and, you know, just be done with the thing. You know, just just vacation. I don't know. I can't imagine that. You know, that would radically. I'm, I'm not saying that we want that, Avery. I'm just saying. I'm saying if you just heard I said you was a blessing. When you have lots of kids, there's things you can't do. You know what? When you're a church that has lots of spiritual children there's a price to pay for that you can't have it the way you always wanted it that's why that that right there is why a lot of churches don't grow you get an influx of new believers influx of young people all churches say they want lots of young people young Christians they always say they want young couples they don't want young couples they don't I mean I've I'm, I've been there they don't I pastored one of those churches they don't you know why? Because if you really want young couples, when, when those young couples come, what, what are they going to do? They're going to change things. And there's churches that just say, we will not change. You won't change our music. You won't change our carpet. You won't change our, our times. You won't change the way we do things. They don't want to grow. Really, the question is going to be, will, will this church, will, will, will all three services, will, will they say multiplying is a blessing? It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to cramp our style. It's going to change things. It's going to make up, give, give up some comforts. Do we want that? I believe it's a blessing. I think the Bible would say that. We don't have much time for this, but isn't it interesting that it says be fruitful and multiply? And again, I want to be careful about doing good biblical study here, but... What's, what's the biggest image in the New Testament that's used for people becoming more and more like Jesus? It's fruit, isn't it? John fifteen five. If you abide in me, my word abides in you. You bear much fruit. Okay? Isn't it interesting that those two go together? Being fruitful and multiplying. I think they do in our evangelistic efforts, too. I think if, if you guys are doing a good job building Christ-revealing relationships, and again, I think you are. We had a family come in the, in the first service and they already knew several of our families. You know how they knew them? Kids ain't football. You know, they, they knew them. But when I said, well, so-and-so's on your show. Oh, yeah, I know that. I met her and I met him. Yeah. If you're doing a good job building Christ-revealing relationships in our community, it's your job with your neighbors. And then you're fruitful. You're growing in joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It was going to happen. We're going to multiply. I believe that. It's God's blessing. Let's let's never forget that. Why why is Lincoln Avenue multiplied? Because God in his incredible grace has chosen to bless us. New souls are a blessing. Spiritual children are a blessing. Physical children are a blessing. Let's, Let's live that out. Father, I thank you for uh, not only giving us uh, physical kids, just running around this church, uh, little, little lost people that we have the opportunity to just pour into and invest into and disciple. And, and God, I just thank you for Him. And Lord, I, I thank you for, for new believers, God. Uh, wow. Thank you, Jesus, for, for new birth and seeing people's lives change. And God, we, we want you to do that more and more. God, we say collectively here tonight, bless us, God. With multiplication and God, we're willing to we're willing to change. God, we're willing to have our stuff messed up, and we're willing to to have uh, the things that we're comfortable with change. God, we're willing to do that because we want you, we want you to bring about more image bearers uh, on this earth, people who who are born again, who are new in Christ. Father, please use us, bless us with that, in Jesus' name, Amen.